it's a great thing to have when trying to market like a data center or an IT company. It's a wonderful tool for them to come in and say, wow, you have fiber optics wired in, in this park or this business center. Hello and welcome to episode 166 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. This is Lisa Gonzalez. This week, Chris interviews Jason Gray, Interim Director of Utilities for the City of Danville, Virginia. This is a return visit for Jason, who last spoke with us in 2012. And Danville, the city's open access fiber network, has been offering better connectivity to the community for years. We've documented a few of the many economic development wins attributed to their network, and in this interview, Jason provides a few more examples. Jason and Chris also discuss the city's incremental approach, the residential expansion, and some of the challenges the city has faced as it sought to add service providers to the network. Jason offers some tips on dig once and marketing efforts based on lessons learned in Danville. We bring you focused, specialized information on municipal networks with no annoying advertisements. There are very few places you can find the in-depth discussions we offer on the Community Broadband Bits podcast. We go the extra mile to bring you important, engaging material that mainstream media typically ignores. Please take a moment to support our work at muninetworks.org or ilsr.org. Click Donate and contribute any amount. Now here are Chris and Jason Gray from Danville, Virginia. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm speaking with Jason Gray once again. Jason Gray is the Interim Director of Utilities in Danville, Virginia. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you back on. You were one of our early guests. You and I spoke uh, into a microphone uh, right there in Danville as part of the uh, very first uh, Economic Development Muni develop, uh, Muni Network Summit uh, sponsored by Broadband Communities. Uh, so it's great to have you back on the show. Yes, uh, it was about three years ago that the Broadband Communities had a, a conference here in Danville, and we were glad to host it and, and be a part of it. Why don't you tell our listeners who aren't familiar uh, where Danville is and a little bit of the background of the In Danville project? Danville is uh, is located in in southern Virginia, uh, right on the North Carolina uh, Virginia border. It's in the middle of the state, um, about uh, two hours from Roanoke, uh, an hour from Lynchburg, but uh, about four hours from Washington D.C. So we're centrally located on the southern portion of, of Virginia. Uh, we're uh, historically a, a textile and tobacco town, uh, which uh, that industry is, has, has left the country or died off. But we're looking to diversify our, our, our future industries and recruit new business to Danville and, and provide jobs for our, our citizens here. Danville has one of the more interesting approaches, I think, because uh, I remember thinking when I first started uh, working in this field in 2007, um, you know, Danville, you're doing this thing, it's incremental, but, you know, it's, it, it's going to take you forever. And, you know, you've moved on, you've been, you've been expanding the network. It's very impressive. Um, why don't you tell us how it got started and you're, you're basically the way that you operate the network? In Danville is is the name of the network. It's it's short for Network Danville, but we actually built the majority of the network in 2004, and uh, to serve our own city government buildings and locations and city schools. The city schools are separate from the city government, 
Um, so we generate revenue through connections that we provide them. But over the years, we've just expanded and expanded it through capital projects. In 2007, we started wiring our industrial parks for economic development purposes and uh, and to help attract uh, industry to, to Danville. Later on in 2012, we started doing a uh, residential project. We tried to do one earlier in 2009 and, and, and actually go out for a, a substantial loan to, to do a mass area, uh, but city council was hesitant about jumping in um, that far with, with the unknowns of the the market. Uh, we're, we're a utility that uh, offers electricity, water, gas, and um, being in the telecommunications business, you have competition with the incumbents, and uh, they, they knew that there were some risks there as far as uh, take rate, customer sign-ups, and so we wanted to go about it in a little bit more conservative manner and build as we have revenue. And I think one of the benefits of your network and your your cautious uh, incremental type approach has been that there's been low risk. And in fact, uh, every year the utility has been contributing back into the general fund. What, what, what was that amount? We contribute uh, roughly $300,000 towards the city's general fund. On top of uh, the allocations, uh, we pay for services that the general fund pays uh, uh offers as well on top of that general fund contribution. So the the fund is completely self-sufficient, doesn't require any uh, uh, loans or subsidization from any other funds. It, it did start off with a, a loan from the electric fund, but it was paid back with interest. But s- since then, the, 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 the telecommunications uh, fund has operated fully based on revenues generated from um, connections to businesses and residential customers. That's the neat thing about the, the project is that we've never had to go out for uh, loans or or money to, to, to pay debt service. And I think one of the things you mentioned was the desire to really increase economic development. Uh, what has been some of the impact of having the fiber on economic development in Danville? Current business has been able to expand, and uh, some of them have been been able to be backup data centers for their corporate headquarters. It's it's a service that uh, we're providing here in town that a lot of the incumbents can't because they don't have the infrastructure now. It's a, it's an attraction when economic development goes out, and it's one less thing that we can check off our list that we do have broadband. We have a scalable broadband that we can offer many different tiers of services, whatever basically the the company needs, and and we can partner with Middle Mile and and other kind of networks to get them a connection to wherever in the world they need to get be connected to. But it's a great thing to have when trying to market like a data center or an IT company. It's a wonderful tool for them to come in and say, wow, you have fiber optics wired in, in this park or this business center. I seem to remember that you have had investment from China. You've had investment from uh, Cray Supercomputer. Uh, you've had investment from uh, consultants that have uh, that set up in that area. You have just all kinds of businesses. And even uh, your network has uh, helped uh, local dentists to expand their operations, as I understand it. We have companies from all over the globe here in Danville, Sweden, Germany, 
uh, India, China, a lo- lot of different countries. Some based on our broadband capabilities, but some because of other reasons. But uh, one that you did mention was the, the Cray supercomputer that requires a very high level of broadband in order to be able to function and to process data and to get it transmitted. So that was an attraction for that company to to locate here. Great. It's one of the things that people often ask me when I'm recommending incremental solutions, uh, which, which I, as I was saying a little bit earlier, I, I do often because I recognize that um, this sort of you know go big or go home kind of thing, it may sound nice, but a lot of communities have ended up not doing anything because they only looked at how they could do something really big. Um, and so you've, I think Danville is one of my best examples where we've seen incremental, um, you know, low risk investments paying off. Uh, you've begun expanding into the residential area and about how many uh, households can access your network now? We've passed over 2,500 customers. The city has 26,000 houses in, in the city limits, but we've passed 2,500 and we're incrementally stepping that up each year because revenues are increasing um, as we pass more homes and connect more businesses. Our contractors are, are, are doing all the installations. We're not having to hire a large staff to be able to manage this. We have a staff of three people uh, to manage a 175 route mile network. So uh, it's very uh, efficient and lean as far as management goes. And one of the things that I don't think we've mentioned yet is that uh, you operate on an open access basis where the city uh, does not directly provide services and your utility does not directly provide services, uh, but you have uh, private service operators that are able to uh, deliver services using your network. That's correct. We have a very active local service provider that was here before in Danville, but they have uh, really benefited from in Danville's expansion, and they're offering triple play. Uh, the company's called Gamewood, and and they offer uh, TV, telephone, internet at different. The internet speeds are at different tiers. Um, we've also been able to attract uh, other providers from outside of Danville here. Uh, to offer services. Right now, they're just looking at business offerings, but uh, as soon as we probably pass more customers, they'll be offering residential. That requires more staffing locally, uh, more costs for maintenance uh, to to be able to to maintain a large customer base. So uh, once we pass more customers, I think those other two providers that we have We'll look at offering residential service. Gamewood service provider, when I look at what's available, um, I was just kind of curious if your network technically is limited to 100 meg or if you can go up to a gig because it wasn't clear um, how uh, high capacity services, um, you know, at what level your sort of network uh, tops out. And so I was curious if you could just tell us a little for the technical geeks among us. We deploy Calix uh, E7 gear, which is 10 gig uh, rings with GPON customer interfaces. So the the GPON is two and a half gig down, one and a quarter up, and it's split between 32 connections. So you can oversubscribe one customer over the other. And we we do have active connections as well, active Ethernet connections that are point to point. That can range from you know 50 meg all the way up to 10 gig. Right. So the the GPON standard is actually what we see in a lot of places that are 
actively marketing a symmetrical gig. So um, I know that some of that gets into oversubscription and some people who are purists, uh, you know, they'd like to maybe say that direct uh, the the point-to-point is better. Um, But fundamentally what you're telling me is that your network can basically do what any other network can do. Right. For residential, we're we're deploying GPON, but for uh, most businesses that have higher demands, we're doing point-to-point. With the service providers, I'm I'm very curious, and you and I have talked about this before. It seemed like, um, you know, you need a minimum of a thousand subscribers before you can really try and get interest from more than one service provider on the network. Um, you know, can you just walk us through what it what any challenges are, maybe unexpected difficulties in terms of attracting more service providers to a fiber network like yours? The network operator needs to have a a TV provider or a, you know a triple play provider in order to do residential and residential service provider that's offering triple play needs to have uh, at least a thousand customers pass in order to market to in order to justify providing those services. So it's kind of a a chicken and egg thing. Yeah, it, it was a challenge. Um, it was it was very helpful having a very active local service provider here that was already offering some of those services. But uh, now that we've passed that hurdle and have passed 2,500 homes, we're, we're past that point. But uh, when you offer residential service, you have to have more staff and be able to respond to calls and uh, installations and things like that. So it's more cost to a service provider uh, to do residential rather than business installations. And when you have a service provider, how much do they pay to access a customer? Is that a a set fee, like on a schedule, or is it a percentage of the revenue? It's a percentage of the revenue, and it's based on their gross revenue of that particular customer. And uh, we don't start making money until that customer is connected and they're paying the service provider. So we don't actually bill the end customer. We bill the service provider for their list of customers and their list of services. So our customers are the service providers. Service providers' customers are the, the actual users, the, the, the business owners, the residentials. And when you're looking to add new service providers, is there like a, a trade show that you go to to meet them? Or do you just, you know, um, have somebody that's occasionally calling up potential service providers? You know, how do you make a connection to attract someone to your network? We used to have... Uh, organized meetings uh, periodically throughout the year with um, local providers, regional providers, uh, to see if there was any interest. Um, We wouldn't go to a trade show because more than likely to get a big provider to come to Danville would be very costly, but we're looking for the the regional local ones that are within uh, less than 100 miles away that could easily come to our community to serve um, our customers. But uh, a lot of times, once you've connected a few businesses and and your people know what you're doing, they they find you. Once you have that one, and, and you start offering service, then uh, a few others take notice, and and then they want to join in too. So there again, you have the chicken and the egg problem of <laughs> trying to get the first one might be really challenging if you don't have a local ISP already operating in town that wants to work with you. Uh, that's the first step is to find the one, and, and hopefully there is one that's local. But we were very lucky to have Gamewood, who is, who is local to Danville and, and very active. 
So let's talk about um, sort of planning for the future. And and I'm curious about uh, the sort of um, dig once or, or conduit type approaches where, you know, since you, you know that ultimately you'd like to have fiber out to everyone in the town, um, you know, if you might be laying conduit or fiber in one area of town in conjunction with, uh, you know, some other project that's going on, maybe a water project or something like that, even though you know you can't serve them for several years. Do you do that sort of thing? We do. We keep HDP conduit, and when when we install new electric service, we always put in a a, a small three quarter inch fiber conduit because a ditch is open. We can we can go ahead and just put it in. Same thing with the business. If 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 there's new services being put in on the electric side, we'll go ahead and put a fiber conduit in. Even though we're not pulling the cable in, we'll we'll have the conduit there for future use. So oh. those are things that we we take advantage of. So if there's a new development going in, then you wouldn't necessarily require the developer to put in a bunch of conduit when they're building it. You would put it in as part of your electrical setup at the same time. We, we would coordinate it with, a, with the electric and, and actually give you an example. We have had a, um, a condominium complex go in. It's, it's four per unit. It's 36 total, but... We've actually supplied their contractor with a reel of HDP conduit, fiber conduit, and they've put it in as they put the electric service in, and and we're we're actually connecting that complex. It's a it's one of our target communities, but uh, we actually coordinated that with the contractor, and they they put it in as they're building the units. Our electric crews will will also help coordinate with any new businesses that come up. Uh, they'll they'll work with the the local contractor construction company that's building that company, and we'll we'll get the contractor to come pick up the, the rail conduit, and and they'll put it in for us, and then we'll go pick it up and bring it back. But it takes a little bit of coordination, but it's, it's nice to have that conduit there for future use, so you don't have to dig up a, a parking lot or locate utilities. It's already there. One last question that I should have asked earlier was um, you, you're passing 2,500 folks. Um, you know, what is your uh, current take rate among the people that, that can take service? It's it's roughly 20%. We forecasted what our take rate, what we thought it would be or what we would like it to be. We, we would envisioned any new community to have uh, a 20% take rate year one. After construction's finished and then the year after that, we would have 20% of those customers sign up for service. And then after that, 5% per year after that. So we've, we've been hitting those numbers pretty well. I think that's it's interesting because if I had to guess, you have a situation where, you know, a lot of people probably aren't even aware of uh, what services are there necessarily. You know, they're getting flyers from Comcast in the mail and the telephone company, um, but they, they probably aren't as aware of your service. Um, but then over time... You know, I think there's there's something, maybe you add another service provider or something, and it catches wildfire. And I think you'll yeah. see a sudden surge in signups. Marketing is a, a key component that a lot of com- communities may overlook. We've had to do a lot of marketing ourselves. And in communication, we, we've, we've done community meetings that have been well-received. If, like if we're building into a new neighborhood, they'll have a, a local uh, neighborhood committee and we'll meet with them and answer any questions that they may have. You know, are we going to hit their sprinkler lines or, you know, things like that? Or can we coordinate with them when we're installing the new new infrastructure? But marketing when you're building into a new neighborhood and then after you're finished is key because um, 
if people don't know why you're there or what you're doing and and what their offerings are, um, it's going to be hard for them to find out information. So uh, communication and marketing are key. Right. Yeah, that's what we've found as well. It's, uh, um, you know, it can be a challenge because some people just, they may not go to the meetings. They may not even, you know, check out local news. So um, it's always a challenge. And that's why I think it takes a while when you start offering a service for word of mouth to get around and people are thinking, wow, like, you know, I'm um, I'm sure glad I'm not on Comcast anymore. And their their neighbors might be thinking, oh, wow, well, I didn't even know that we had another option. So <laughs> That's right. Word of mouth is the best marketing and tool, but um, direct mailings and, and letters and then, of course, the community meetings are, are also effective. But they don't be more than word of mouth marketing. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and updating us on uh, how things are going. All right. Thank you, Chris. Learn more about the network at ndanville.com. And be sure to check out the Danville tag at muninetworks.org for our stories. Please continue to send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at communitynets. Thank you, BKFM B-Side, for your song, Raise Your Hands, License to Creative Commons. Thanks for listening and have a great day.